Amen. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let me hear a hand clap of praise today. Now I can really appreciate what David said when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That gives new meaning to me today, to, to see your smiling faces and to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. We want to thank God for our, our virtual audience and those who are watching from home. Uh, we're here to worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness today. And I'm so excited today about this new series. Uh, God has really been working on me, and I've been praying and asking God for a direction in uh, what to preach and how to preach it and to preach it in the right spirit. And uh, God has done that. He has done that. And so we thank God for just the presence and the power of His Holy Spirit today. And I just want to thank God for this string ensemble. Let's give them a hand. I know they've walked off, but let's give them a hand. Amen. Amen. The scripture has already been beautifully read in your hearing, so I don't need to read the scripture again, but I do ask that you would keep your Bibles close because we will walk through Genesis chapter 16, uh, 1 through uh, 16. So I wanted, I wanted to, first of all, just set the tone uh, in this first sermon about what God uh, wants to do in us and what He wants to, to do through us. Uh, many of you know that when we think about what we have been through as, uh, as a society, as a nation, as a church, and personally through this pandemic, and sometimes I wonder, you know, God, what, what are you up to? What are you doing, Lord? And I, I believe that God is saying, as he said, said to Hagar, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see your pain. I see what you have experienced. And one thing that one friend said to me, he said, Aaron, you got to understand this. God never wastes anything. When it comes to the life of a believer, God says, I don't waste anything. I can use everything, anything that happens in your life as a redemptive tool or a tool to shape us uh, more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So this, this series made me think about uh, a young lady that I had met. I met her at the noonday Bible study that I taught every Wednesday. I believe she, she arrived early that day just because she wanted to be seen. She wanted me to know her story. She began to tell me that she left the church when she was 16 because she was humiliated by the pastor and the congregation. And she said to me, she got pregnant and her parents and the pastor made her stand before the church and ask for forgiveness for having sex outside of marriage and for getting pregnant. And I can still hear the pain in her voice 
I could still feel the pain. She said to me, for many years, I felt abandoned. I felt alone. I felt like a scarlet letter was on my chest. Then she said this to me. She said, but God has healed me. God found me. He restored me. Even though I have some bitter feelings toward the church, but I still love the Lord, and I'm praying that God will help me to get back to that place in my relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation. And that she did. As I watched her over the years, she began to get more and more involved. But this story made me think about another story in Genesis. It made me think about another woman by the name of Hagar. And I would submit to you that, that there are many Hagars out there. There may be many Hagars in, in this fellowship this morning. And it makes us ask the question, do you, do you ever recall a time in your life when you felt invisible to the world, abandoned, alone, you wanted someone to notice you, to know you exist, to know that you have not escaped God's notice. He sees you right where you are. Well, in Genesis 16, 1 through 16, we're, we are introduced to an Egyptian maidservant by the name of Hagar. And the word Hagar literally means flight. It means flight. She, she encountered God in the wilderness and addressed him as El Roy, the God who sees me. This is the only occurrence in, in the Bible of this name of God, El Roy. We don't know Hagar's whole story. Uh, we don't know her family background. We don't even know her age, although we knew she was, she was much younger than Sarah. But we do know she had an encounter with the God of Abraham. We do know that God changed her perspective on life. Today, we want to look at Hagar as a divine example of God's grace and mercy. And we want to shine the sermonic spotlight on Hagar because most of us, we know the story of Abram, Abraham and Sarah as recorded in Genesis 12 through 25. But in Genesis 16, God has his eyes on Hagar. And she becomes the subject of divine attention and divine intervention. The first thing I want us to see in this text today is God sees your situation. He sees your situation. Look at what it says in 16.1. Now, Sarah 
Abram's wife bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave, slave girl whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Therefore, go into my slave girl or maidservant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, I would rather say maidservant, and Bruce Walkie argues the case that maidservant, it should be a better rendition. It should be maidservant. It's a personal servant owned by a rich woman not a slave girl, answerable to a master. He goes on to say that Hagar's relationship to Sarah resembles, resembles Eliezer's to Abraham. In other words, she is answerable to Sarah. Now, I want you to understand, I want you, I want you to picture with me or use your imagination of how this conversation uh, transpired between Abraham and Sarah. It's about 10 p.m. at night. Abram has just taken off his robe and bedroom slippers. And he slides into the bed to get some sleep after a long day. But he knows that Sarah has something on his mind, and so they are in the process of having a pillow conversation. Amen, somebody. Sarah is, is already in the bed, and Abram can't tell, uh, can tell by the, the look in her eyes that she wants to talk. So he tries to turn to his left and lay, lay on his left away from Sarah, but she taps him on the shoulder. And she says to Abram, Abram, you know I'm getting old. My childbearing years are, are, are way beyond me. I have an idea. Amen. Hagar is young, and the custom of the day was that if a woman was barren, that the custom was you could have a relationship with another woman by the consent of the wife to be a surrogate mother, to, be, to give birth on behalf of the wife. So that was the custom of the day, but that was not the custom of God. Let me say that. Just because something is the custom of the day doesn't make it right in the presence of God. Amen? Now, I, you know, Abram obviously consented, agreed. But here's the thing. God sees this situation. And I like what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, faith is living without scheming. And this is a scheme if I've ever heard, heard of one. Notice in this particular verse, in verses 1 and 2, that there's no mention of prayer. There's no godly counsel. There's no, nobody saying, well, why don't we bathe this situation in prayer before we move forward? Let's see what God thinks about this. But no, Sarah 
moves in unbelief, and Abram consents and, and goes along with the scheme. So this is, in a real sense, uh, an accident waiting to happen, a disaster waiting to happen. And really what is taking place in this section is Sarah and Abram are edging God out. And you know, it's always dangerous when we as believers, as Christians, as followers of God, begin to make a plan and don't consult God. We, we begin to edge God out and we push him to the parameters of our life and we begin to turn a, a deaf ear and, and not look in God's direction and begin to scheme. But Paul reminds us in Romans that anything that is not of faith is sin. So as, the Christ, as Christians, the just shall live by faith. So we see in this, this story, we see in this story that Sarah and Abram are scheming. They are scheming. And then they bring Hagar into the conversation. Bring her into the plan. You don't hear anything from Hagar in, verse, in verses 1 through 6. Look at what Sarah says to Abram. And Sarah said to Abraham, Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. Highlight that word, listen. He listened to the voice of Sarah. Ideally, Abram should say, well, let, let, let's pray about this. Before we make any decision, Sarah, let us talk to God about this. Verse 3 continues. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and she, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I, have, I gave my slave girl, my maidservant, to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And that's, that's unpackaged that a little bit because what it's implying is Hagar knew that to be able to, to have a child was considered a blessing. But it also had the potential of moving her above Sarah because here she is pregnant, about to give birth to a son, to Abram. So she, she looked down at Sarai with contempt. She, she began to think that she was perhaps at a higher level than Sarah at this time. And so we see this situation begin to digress. Whenever you leave God out of the picture, whenever you circumvent the plans of God, 
and the promises of God, you leave the door wide open for Satan and for mess to get into your life. And this is what happens to Sarah and to Abram. And, and, and what the, the bad thing about it is they, they brought Hagar into it and she had nothing to say about the matter. But how does... How should, how should Hagar respond to this? How, how should Sarai respond to this? Well, the text doesn't really tell us anything about how Abram and Sarah responded to it. The only thing we see here is that uh, we have watched three people make mistakes. Sarah took matters into her own hands and gave her servant to Abram, which was a custom of the day, but was not permissible by God. Abram who went along with the plan, but when circumstances began to go wrong, he refused to help solve the problem. In other words, Abram says, it's in your power to, 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 to change this situation, Sarah. Don't leave me out of it. Now, he's been in it, but now he wants to get out of it. And we will later see that Hagar runs away from the problem. She leaves the problem. She leaves the situation. She runs away, and rightly so. I, I would probably have done the same thing that Hagar did. But let us notice here that, as we will see, that in spite of this messy situation, God demonstrates his grace and his ability to work all things together for good. That he demonstrates his grace. God still works out, works this situ out, situation out for his greater good and greater glory. So God sees your situation. Your situation may not be like Hagar. Uh, your situation may be, may be different, but God sees the situation in life that you are in. He's totally aware of the intricacies of what's going on in your life and my life because his eyes are upon the righteous and those whose hearts are turned toward him, as the psalmist reminds us. The God who sees, sees it all. Secondly, I want us to understand you are under God's intensive care. You're under God's intensive care. In other words, God takes the divine initiative to get involved in this situation. He takes the initiative and he gets involved and he begins to have a conversation with an unknown woman who makes her way into the scriptures by the name of Hagar. Now look at what happens as a result of this in verse 5, then Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. She says, Hagar has done me wrong. Well, the, last, the first time I, when I read this text, I said, well, wait a minute, Sarah, it seems to me that you did Hagar wrong first. But we're not going to get into that. But here, he says, may the Lord judge between you and me. So she's, she's having an argument. This is an argument with Abram. But Abram said to Sarah, 
your slave girl, your maidservant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. But here's the grace in the story. The angel of the Lord found her, pursued her, looked for her, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said to Hagar, maidservant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now we can only imagine the, 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 the fear, the abandonment, uh, the, how Hagar is feeling at this moment. But God begins to bring Hagar into his ICU, into his intensive care unit. And he begins to minister to her. He begins to have a conversation with her. And he begins to redirect her because, remember, Hagar's name is Flight. She's running away. She's running back to Shur, which is Egypt. She's going back home. She says, I've had enough of this. This makes me feel very uncomfortable. I'm going back home. But look at what the Lord says to her. First of all, she says, I am running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. It sounds similar to a promise that he made to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son, and you shall call him Ishmael. Then the word Ishmael means the God who hears. For the Lord has given heed to your affliction, and he shall be a wild, I'm going to say donkey of a man. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> he shall be a wild donkey of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all, all his kin. And this basically says that he, he is a free-spirited man, and he, he, he has some stubbornness about him. But God makes a promise to Hagar God offers Hagar the gift of himself. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the best cure for a troubled soul is being in the presence of the God who sees me. Sometimes the best cure for a troubled, distressed, depressed soul is to be in the presence of the God who sees me, sees my, my pain, who, who sees my, my troubles, who, who sees what I'm going through, spending concentrated time in the presence of Elroy, 
will revive us and refresh us and renew our spirit. And that's exactly what God does to Hagar. God meets Hagar at her lowest point. Hagar's God is the one who numbers the hairs on our heads and who knows our circumstances, past, present, and future. And when you pray to Elroy, you are praying to the one who knows everything, everything about you. Jenny Ray Armstrong, a, an author, wrote these words about Hagar. He said, she says that Hagar reminds us that God sees the suffering of those in society that society has used and cast aside, that, see, that he sees the humanity of those it is more convenient for us to dehumanize because they remind us that we are not as righteous as we like to think we are. Let that sit for a while because sometimes we dehumanize people and, realize, and, and fail to realize that they are image bearers of God. That whether they are believers or unbelievers, that they bear the divine image of God in their bodies. God affirms Hagar as an image bearer, as a human being as someone who's precious in his sight. God says to Hagar in so many words that I am your primary caregiver. I will look after you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. Like what one writer said, he says that people will hurt you, but God will heal you. People will humiliate you, but God will magnify you. People will judge you, but God will justify you. God will see you through. He will justify you. He will magnify you. He will heal you. We can't always control what people do to us, but we can always control how we respond to the situation. Hagar runs away, but God redirects Hagar. He tells her to return to your, your mistress and submit to her. Can you, can you imagine the text? One author says that by this time, Hagar had walked some 70 miles away from where Abram and Sarai was. And so the angel of the Lord finds her in Kadesh, between Kadesh and Barrett, and she's wanting to head back to Shur, but God turns her around and says, go back to your problem. Go back to your situation. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Go back and submit to Sarah. I don't know about you, but that would have been pretty hard for me to do. 
But then he reaffirms her and says that, God, I have a plan for you, Hagar. I see you. I, I, I have a plan for you, plans not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. I, I, I can't always control Sarah, and I can't always control Abram, but, but Hagar, I want you to know I have a plan for you. And I don't know where you are. You may be, may, may be caught between Kadesh and Barrett. You, you, you may want to give up on, on some person, some job, some situation, and God is leading you to go back to your problem and face your problem. I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but this message is, is for somebody because you're caught between Kadesh and Barrett, but right there in Kadesh is a spring of water. There's a well there. God seems to always show up at Wales. <laughs> Jesus meets another woman at a well. And he tells her everything about herself, and she leaves and says, Come see a man who told me everything about myself. Hagar leaves Kadesh. The text says she, she goes back home. She goes back to Sarah and Abram. Last, I, I want us to understand here that God will see you through the in-between times when you're caught between Kadesh and Barrett because the name of that well is called Bir Lahai Leroy, which literally means a well belonging to the living one, my seeing one. The well belongs to, to God. It, it's where God refreshes us. It's where God revives us. It, it's where God, it, it, there's a stream of water coming up. God says, when you drink of this water, you shall never thirst again. That's what he told the woman at the well. So, we see a God who sees Elroy. We see a God who hears in the name of Ishmael, but then we see a well belonging to the living one, my seeing one. So I want to, I want to encourage you if, if, to, to, to consult God before you make any decisions, to, 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 to lay on it for a while because God sees you and he wants to redirect you. Sometimes God tells us to go forward. Sometimes he tells us to go back to face the problem. God has a promise for her, and she obeys God and goes back to where God calls her to go. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters. God wants to see us through, but if God, if God everything about God seeing us through is us listening to God, and walking with God and hearing God out and letting God redirect us. You know, I, I was, my wife and I were shopping a couple of, uh, last weekend, and it was at one of these big outlets when you park your car, sometimes you forget where you are and where, where to, how to find your car. And uh, 
I, I hate to admit this, but sometimes I don't have a good sense of direction. And my wife has a very good sense of direction. Amen. God knows just what we need. But here's the thing. I was walking to the car, and I heard a sound of a young girl. She said, Dad, I'm over here. She's in the car. Dad is looking for where he parked. He's trying to find the car. And the little girl says, Dad, I'm, we're here, Dad. We're here. We're right here, Dad. I'm right here, Dad. And then the father says, I see you, daughter. He says, I, I, I see you. And it made me think about this passage because sometimes all we got to do is cry out to our father and say, Dad, I'm over here. I'm right here. I'm in this situation. Lord, I, I, I need you, Lord. And God says, I see you, son. I see you, daughter. I see your hurts. I see your pain. I see all that you go through. I see you. And I want you to know today that God, he sees you. Jesus sees you. Just like he saw the woman at the well. Just like he saw Peter. Just, just like he saw Nathaniel. Just like he, he saw uh, the, 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 woman, the man who was blind. He, he sees us. So whatever you're going through today, I want you to know for God to see you means that he cares about you, that he wants to be your primary caregiver, that he wants to take care of you. And can nobody take care of you like Jesus? Can nobody treat you like Jesus? Can nobody handle you like Jesus? Can nobody look after you like Jesus? And I want you to pray this prayer with me. And you can just listen in. But this prayer is for me, and, and it's, it's for you. Lord, we praise you for you know our whole story. From beginning to end, you see it all. Lord, give us humility to confess when we're wrong. For we don't always see the past accurately. Our vision of the present is often blurred, Lord. And we are blind to what the future holds for us. Lord, help me. Help us to fasten our eyes on you, trusting in your vision for our lives and under your watchful care. It is in the precious, pleasing, and perfect name of Jesus we pray. Amen.